and welcome to the Anti-Genocide Coffee Break, an international podcast. I am your host, Elisa von Jürgen-Forgi, and I am here with my co-host, Irena Victoria Massimino, and we are joined today by our colleague and friend and the most wonderful person, Ranin Taher, a human rights activist in Iraq. Welcome, Ranin. Welcome, Ranin. We are so happy to have you here with us, and thank you for taking the time. Hello, Elisa and Irena, and happy again to meet you and then have this nice discussion with you. And then I'm so excited to go through it. <laughs> we are too. It's just great to Definitely. see you again. We met Ranin in 2016 when we traveled to Iraq. Uh, she was then a part of a, one of the organizations that invited us to come to witness the ISIS genocides against the Christians, the Yazidis, and other national and religious minorities in Iraq. So we have known Ranin from the very beginning of our, um, of our work in Iraq and our sort of commitment to that work. And Ranin has been very influential in the direction much of our work has taken. So we're very honored um, to have you here with us today. So I'm going to give an introduction uh, to Ranin, and then we're going to begin. We have, we've discussed some questions for today's interview, and we will begin with them afterwards. So Ranin is a human rights activist um, and from the Christian minority in the Nineveh Plain of Iraq. She completed her bachelor's degree in engineering, in, in agricultural engineering at uh, Salah, uh, pardon me, at Salah al-Din University in Erbil, and later completed the uh, Genocide Prevention Certificate um, at Stockton University. She is the co-founder and a board member and a volunteer at the Shlomo Organization for Documentation that was established to document the crimes of genocide that were committed against Christians by ISIS, also known as Daesh, in 2014. Um, she is one of the co-founders of a social media platform called Leadership Recipe that aims to empower youth and build and develop their capacities and skills in Iraq. She also wishes to raise awareness um, of different aspects of life in Iraq amongst Iraq's youth through this project and others that we will be discussing today. So welcome again, Ranin. Let me start with our uh, first question, which is about the present day in Iraq. You know, news in uh, the rest of the world about Iraq, particularly in the English-speaking world, is not, is not always that available. And so I think many of our listeners will not be up to date on what's going on in Iraq, and there's so much going on. Um, one of the things we want to ask about is the mass demonstrations that have been happening for over a year now in Baghdad and in other cities. Can you tell us more about these mass demonstrations, their causes, the government response to them, and what public opinion is about them? Um. Um, so you mean that um, the October demonstration? 
Yes. So we are called it as, and it is famous here in Iraq to say that it is youth demonstration, an October demonstration that have been started in October 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would like to, like, if I would like to speak about this great demonstration, so I w- we, we can say it was starting with, you know, hopeless and then jobless and then um, increase the profity between the people. So, so it was started with a small demand of the young uh, person who are graduated and then who carry the um, bachelor degrees and then master degrees. And then they started to demonstrate uh, in front of the, minis- the, the Ministry of the Higher of Education to ask uh, to ask about uh, to, to to ask them to get a job or to for for an employment, but uh, that was I remember was on September twenty sixth of September two thousand nineteen. So um, those small group of youth, youth they've been for they they've been faced by uh, a boiled water and then like hardly uh, face it with the government. So that was, uh, I get uh, more anger with uh, whole, uh, the whole Iraqi community about the way that they face these youth, the young people who, who they were seeking for the work. So and who was, let me jump right. in, sorry. So the young people who were demonstrating for jobs because they were unemployed, they, were, they had uh, boiling water thrown on them? Is that right? Yeah. By by yeah, who? By well, the police or? Yeah, sure. By the police who mm-hmm. were standing to protect the area, and uh, so that was the you know that we can say it was the sparkling to started the bigger demonstration of Iraq, and then to to raise the big anger of the Iraqi community about the way that they treat uh, those young who they were just asked about the rights. Yeah. Um, so that that later on that on October that there was a big uh, a big uh, you know that uh, um, th- there was a big uh, group that they were deal to to start and walking on the street and making a peaceful demonstration to ask for you know for the right to ask to end the corruption and then and then that was the the main demand of. Um, uh, the, the the demonstration, but within this and also they were facing with the, the most brutal way that I have ever seen, even ever se- seen by my life. Hmm. And then they were shooting, and then uh, they were shooting by a sniper and randomly shooting on the street, and also uh, uh, throwing on them uh, the ter- uh, the tearing gas. And uh, so you know that the most brutal. A scene that I have ever seen by my life, and that was um, during this demonstration. And um, like we can say, then later on, then uh, that whole uh, that they were the demand it's become bigger to change the government, and then uh, that's how uh, uh, to change the whole government in Iraq, and then uh, to end the corruption. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that the one way of that the, those demonstra- dem- demonstration um, uh, that what how they deal with it they cut the access of the internet 
so the yeah. few, that, so so that's that, yeah. that's why that you know that the international community or the people on the world they didn't know that what what are going on in Iraq because there was many places they were block internet on it. So we are like from different area. Like I'm I'm not living in Baghdad. I'm living in Kurdistan, so I have access to internet. So it was like one of my duty to transfer or to you know to to speak about it to let other people know about what's happening on in, in Baghdad. And then uh, and thank God that we have a lot of activists uh, throughout the world uh, from different countries. They are also Iraqi. They uh, they stand on solidarity and then they speak up. So that's how the world, they start to know about what's going on on the Baghdad street. Um, unfortunately, that um, the result of this demonstration was come to death and kill about 700 youth, Iraq youth, and then 1,000, they got injured. And um, yeah, I'm very sad to say that. And, and still that this revolution, uh, the objective of revolution is did not come with a good result. Still mm. that uh, there is, uh, there, there was a field and, and delivered the change that they wanted. Uh, there was a change on the government, but uh, but still, that we have um, there is a lot of corruption that did not end. So that's what we are asking for, and we are not not fed up to continue asking for, and then to raise that voice and the right voice. And I'm um, believe and I'm sure it is one of our responsibility to ask that maybe the good things are are to come later. And then, yeah. Yeah. Can I just say something to thank you, Ranin, for our audience is that um, Iraq, after so many years of conflict, Iraq is in, in and correct me if I, I'm wrong, Ranin, just to contextualize to our audience, this is indirectly related to the internal conflicts of, of Iraq, but it has high rates of corruption, high rates of unemployment. And to bring to the people awareness to the to our audience is it's not a poor country actually it has a lot of natural resources is one of the richest countries when it comes to oil It's one of the biggest uh, oil um, what's the word in English I can't think of it right now but it's one of the of the uh, amongst the five countries with the most amount of oil and when one goes to Iraq and we have said it in our podcast I think one sees oil drillings all over Kurdistan and different areas. We, Unfortunately, we couldn't leave the area of northern Iraq. We, we didn't have the time to visit the rest of the country, but there is a lot of oil. And that evidently goes to the hands of very few people because the situation, the economic and social situation of Iraq is, is terrible. Even energetically speaking, uh, there are cuts of electricity permanently and people don't get paid their salaries even if they work for the government right so and one sees a lot of um and and, and a lack of hope in the youth because as what you mentioned running people are not able to find a proper job even after going to so much to so many levels of education as a graduate and postgraduate studies so it's great to see the youth going out in the streets, but uh, we, we've certainly saw so much repression from the government. And my question now goes, is there any investigation going on about the deaths 
the involvement of the police and the repression of the you know security forces you mentioned snipers but we don't really know to what security force they belong right do, do we know that running do we have information on that or what is happening with that repression now um you know that Iraq is from a year and a year, from a long time, that there is many crimes that committed in this land. But you know that the problem that there is no accountability. So because if there was accountability, that we were able to prevent many crimes a year later. So because that we start without account accountability of the perpetrators. So so the demonstration was also without accountable, without investigation about what happened or who committed this crime, um, who they were belonging to, who they were shouting, shouting on this on this young Iraqi young that who they were peaceful and then just they want their right, you know that nobody's know, and then nobody mm -hmm. know like whether they want to start investigation or not. Like who care, you know that that. We are like feel sorry that because that many that they they feel on us they are we are only number you know that the mm -hmm. number of people they killing so they don't care about the family who left their exactly. beloved one they don't care about the youth who who lost their hopes yeah yeah I mean it's really it's it's so courageous that young people in Iraq rose up that way um, and I remember uh, Ranin when we met. Um, and you told us that you had a degree in agricultural engineering, but that it's hard to get a job as an agricultural engineer because the agricultural sector of the economy is so neglected. It, it hardly even exists, right? Iraq imports most of its food, even though historically it's been the breadbasket of the world, Right. This is in Mesopotamia is where agriculture, Irene, you were always saying that. How can there be no agriculture? Because this is where agriculture was invented. Really? Right. So that history. Look at Mesopotamia. Right. So, you know, there's all of this. So it's 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 you know, it's it's an it shows the desperation of young people that they had to go out on the streets. But it's also incredibly courageous, given all of the various security forces and international interests that operate militarily in Iraq. Really wonderful and it's it's such a I, I do think that there will need to be an inquest some kind of investigation mm -hmm. at some point and I think the international community should be pushing for that don't you Irena that certainly I mean I feel like not no no prevention you know we always talk about genocide prevention with our work and there's no prevention if there's no accountability for the crimes committed in the past and there will be no accountabilities for mass atrocities right. if there is no accountabilities for this local event right i'm yeah. calling local not to minimize them because it's 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 huge i mean this repression was people. against oh yes and no no not only the number but also against the youth of a country who are yeah. asking for a better future because that's yeah. what you know mm -hmm. and we have a lot of you, you too, at least I have a lot of young people contacts in, in of young people in my social media after all the trips to Iraq and all of these claims about searching for a job and opportunities, yeah. trying to, you know, even volunteer all of the youth that I have as contacts on my Facebook do volunteer work for humanitarian purposes, for human rights, for mm -hmm. the rights of people. So it's it's a wonderful use with honest claims and yeah. legitimate claims. 
And to have that response from the government gives me, you know, first of all, the impunity of Iraq mm, and mm. also that the government is has total incapacity to respond to this. It's mm -hmm. incapable because it has no capacity. So this is something that uh, it has to be, I mean, addressed incredibly in Iraq yeah. in order to start reconstructing the country and its institutions. Yeah. Yeah, that's what our, 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 our viewers have, I mean, our viewers, pardon me, our listeners have to understand that um, that there's just so much talent in Iraq and there are people with BAs and MAs and PhDs, like Ranin was saying, whose talents are not being used. They're being squandered, right? Lost by the state uh, because the state, as, as Irena said, does not have the capacity um, to react properly and to respond to very legitimate grievances. Um, but think what Iraq could be if, it's go if it got its act together and began to use, right, all of this talent and passion mm -hmm. and dynamism that the Iraqi youth are bringing. I mean, Iraq um, had a, r a great university system and that still exists mm -hmm. to some degree, although ISIS, I know uh, ISIS's attacks in Nineveh and Sinjar has kind of reduced the capacity of many of, you know, like the Mosul University in Mosul, the very famous ones there. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it has this great infrastructure that could be built on to create a really strong and dynamic country. And instead it shoots down 700 of its talented young people. Mm. And I wanted to add something. So many youth are also trying to leave Iraq, right, Ranin? Yeah. So what, what's concerning is that what what is the future of Iraq, this youth being the future of Iraq, if they leave, what is left for Iraq, right? That's a big question the government has to think of. If there is no, all that youth that has studied and has prepared themselves to build a better world like you're running, to build a better Iraq with your your expertise, not only in human rights, but in a specific field of agric agriculture, for example. Yeah. If you leave, then who would, who would replace you? You know, who would be in your place? And in so many of these lost lives and the people that are leaving Iraq, you know, like economic migrants certainly economic and social migrants they leave the mm -hmm. violence mm -hmm. and they also leave this the economic hardship mm -hmm. certainly yeah that that's unfortunately the the truth so how the youth are, are leaving Europe yeah so you mentioned that um that there were no immediate consequences like positive consequences of this revolution this October revolution, right? But that, but that you're hoping that it will have longer-term consequences. And this is a this is a theme that we've discussed with several of our um, our participants, right, or our guests on our podcast. That that change is long; it doesn't happen quickly, and sometimes right. it takes generations. But you have to start somewhere. And then it's very difficult to keep one's hopes up, right, when it seems so slow. But at some point, there can be a moment of change where everything just starts happening really quickly. So what is it? So out of this revolution, what, what are some of the demands that have arisen? Um, and, and what do, do Iraqis as a whole sort of support those demands? 
you mean the Iraqis, like um, civilian Iraqis? Yeah. Or that, yeah. Yeah, or both, the or, government and the civilian, right? So what, what has come out of this? What do you think are the consequences? Um, that you mean the positive consequences or the negative one? Like, with, um, you know that with a positive consequences, I can tell you with a term like a youth when the mm -hmm. community and then us because I'm one of the youth of Iraq. Yeah. Does you know that give us a power uh, that to speak up about our rights, to raise up our voice. And then even we don't like, even we, we, we know that our demise are not been like, um, uh, uh, not been um, answered well, but we are raising our voice and whether what like when when matter what will be hmm. um so this is one of the most positive things that like i have seen then then i have also with the positive like i have known that we have many great talent iraqi yeah. youth uh that they love their country and then they want to build their country and then there was a lot of positive you know impression between those youth and then how they were collaborate and then how they were help, help each other uh, and then how they were, you know, that uh, care each other when someone he get injured and then mm -hmm. everyone run off uh, like on him and then try, you know, to help him. Even he know that there is a shouting on his, uh, like over his head, but he was trying to help his friends. You know that there was a lot of a beautiful campaign that mm -hmm. uh, that been uh, showed after this revolution. Then uh, you know that make uh, there is there is a famous uh, bridge in in Baghdad. It's called a Sinek Bridge. So that uh, that that bridge there was happened the most crime that happened on it. Mm -hmm. And then after that, the youth in Baghdad what they did, they painting all the walls. And the pictures of uh, the people who were um, uh, who were uh, the protesters, wow. and then what they did, they hold also that the, the same protester they hold a campaign, you know, to paint the the street and then to, to paint the street, you know, to clean the street. Also, that even that our yes. government they didn't think about it. The you they did it by themselves. You know that that was you know that the youth system, mm -hmm. like we yes. know that that our youth they are able to stand and to hold, and the leading, mm -hmm. uh, the good and then organized system. So the the demonstration was not like a randomly demonstration. Yeah, it was organized system of the people mm -hmm. who were working like with heart to heart, and then they from deep their heart they want to do something for their country. That is so beautiful. And you're right. Once people have found their voice, it's impossible to silence them. So th right. that has started, do you know? And I don't think people will be silenced after finding their voice in that way. And yeah, having the youth out there cleaning the streets, that's just beautiful. It shows, right, how constructive and um, uh, the protests were and how they were in the interest, the better interests of all of Iraq building the country, right? That's, that's a beautiful form of sort of, what do you call it, kind of performative art, right? To go out and clean the street and to do murals and on the bridge. What, what wonderful things. That is, that's uh -huh. very exciting. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then one more one more thing was so positive, like you know that the whole people in Iraq, like even from the other provinces, mm-hmm. and then who are already not participated in Baghdad, you know that mm-hmm. they hold a big campaign to 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 uh, to donate for those who are in the uh, oh, on nice. the on the square. They call it Liberation Square. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that the people who were in the Liberation Square. They were well fed in the whole day. They were like, there, there was a restaurant who were donate for this, like, uh, and the food. Oh, and that's then so beautiful. They were giving uh, them, you know, sleep beds on the, they were nice. sleeping on the street. Um, so that was a very nice insight from those demonstrations. Yeah. That's what, it, it showed, no, I just wanted to add that it showed that there is, you know, solidarity and cooperation amongst Mm -hmm. the youth Mm -hmm. you know and you those are the two most important elements to building a society actually a Mm -hmm. a community so hopefully there there will be a positive outcome in the future and you know it looks it definitely looks that like uh, the youth in Iraq are very aware of their rights and that's also very important and of the duties of the government and that's also very Mm -hmm. important for the future So you, you won't be silenced easily. No. Because you, right. no. And there were a lot of women, right, who participated in the demonstrations in the revolution? Yeah, yeah actually, that was the, that was one of the images that surprised all the world. Like, how come mm-hmm. that Iraqi women, they are, you know, that they walk, they walk with, uh, with, the young, with the young men? You know, mm-hmm. that there's some people in the world, they thought that Iraq is just like... There is no women mixed with yeah. men, but that was how that 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 Iraqis and the Iraqi youth they show the real image of Iraq and mm-hmm. how we are in the, you know that 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 the true image of Iraq. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. So it really did counter the image that the Western world, for example, has of the Middle East in general, and then Iraq as well. Um, that that women are just sort of oppressed. Right. That's yeah. the view. Women are oppressed. And these demonstrations, they sure did show that, yeah, the women are out there alongside the men um, fighting for their rights. Do you something now? We saw. Yeah, we saw that. Sorry, right? some, something that we saw when. Yeah. Sorry for interrupting. No. Guys, but yeah, something that we saw uh, when we were in, in Iraq, yeah. because it's the Middle East is very different. So. I'm glad this showed up. You know, when one watches the news in general of different protests, you know, the news is always biased as well. And, you know, they sometimes they tend to show only the men. Right. But the women are very involved in the different communities in Iraq, for sure. So you can, but the image was very clear that there was nurse, there was physician, and there was lawyers, there was activists, young girls, and then also the young men... um, so you know that you can see like everyone he worked according his specialist mm-hmm. and then he helped according his specialist so that was a very nice and a beautiful image of the demonstration of about that in the october demonstration youth youth demonstration about that yeah i often feel that these sorts of revolutions like we had an uprising in the u.s last summer about police violence, right, against black Americans. And and they were called protests, and we always demanded that they be understood as an uprising because 
what we saw during the protests was the image of a future America. So I like to see these things as in the way that they work, they show what the future will be and they show what the potential is. So yes. everything, right? So everything you're describing, Ranin, is really a description of a beautiful future Iraq where there's cooperation and solidarity and, and all of these very talented people contributing according to their specialties, right, and their talents and their abilities. Beautiful. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. It's really, really hopeful. Um, so to talk about, I guess we can move on here to, uh, to move back a few years, right, uh, to a less hopeful time. You, um, Ranin, mm -hmm. were in Erbil, when ISIS began its occupation of Nineveh and Sinjar um, in the very early days of that. And so I believe you witnessed the refugees coming out of um, ISIS-controlled territory. Can you tell us about those early days, what it was like to be in Erbil? And for our listeners, Erbil is, um, is it the largest city in the KRG in northern Iraq? in Kurdistan. It's the largest, isn't it, city? I think it, it's the capital of Kurdistan. It's the capital, yeah, and capital. I think the largest city. Yeah, and so can you tell us a little bit about those early days when all these refugees were arriving and your community had to do something to help them? Um, so now you you remember, you reminded me in the, like, let's say, the saddest time in my life. Mm -hmm. And then... Mm. Uh, because it was not easy for me to see, you know, my people and then my community. And then they are being persecuted just because of their faith. And then they were moved and expelled from their houses and then their villages mm -hmm. um, just because of their belief. Um, I remember on, like, I'm originally from uh, Bartola. Bartola, one of the villages had been invited and mm -hmm. uh, uh, occupied by ISIS. Uh, but like me and my family, we have been left parts of love from 2005. Mm -hmm. But my bigger family, like my bigger that that my family of my father and my mother, they stay they still lived in Barcelona at that time. So we were like all time go and visiting them. Um, so we never, you know, that it's never come on my mind. And one day that I was not able to back to Barcelona, I was not able to go visit and my, my big family, my mm. grandmother home and uh, at Barcelona. Um, so at that day, it was on the same days, on these days, on 2014. I remember that uh, and, and they started, ISIS invaded Mosul. So they, uh, when they invaded Mosul, they... Um, uh, they expelled the Christian from Mosul city. And then later on, then uh, they came and to occupied Bartola and then other uh, other Nineveh Plain, which called it the area of Nineveh Plain, mm -hmm. the village of, uh, of the Christian. So on the first day, like, uh, it was very difficult. I was working in the Society of the Human Rights. Um, so, like, I was, we were all in shock. Like, I never imagined, like, what like if that is true or not like what happened to these people and why they are here mm -hmm. like how we can solve this like no way that these people they were are going to sleep on the street so there were thousands of the people on the streets you know that many people they slept especially like if you are 
like you've been in Iraq. I don't yeah. know if you've been in in uh, in uh, uh, summer. So in the summer, the heat is rich, especially on the August. Yeah. It's reached to 50. So yeah. 50 is like something is burning uh, when you be yes. out of, of your home. Yeah. So imagine these a thousand people, mm. they are without home. You know, mm. that, that like the number of people they were over to carry and to have them on the houses or something like that. So at the first thing, what they did, they opened the school for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, especially because it was a summer uh, season, so there was no school. Uh, so they opened the school doors for them. And then they opened the infrastructure building also to let the people uh, live in. And then later that there was a start, the donation from the organization to have a tent. And then later on, they, they have a bring a caravan. So I was like, um, I was like one, I, I was like, um, take one of the schools so I was like all time visiting this school and then uh, to check what what the needs of uh, these people so I was able to provide for them some uh, donation with the medical support and mm-hmm. then some of food support and I was start I was recording some of name to see like what they need and then uh, I was organizing with other organizations who who were working there so that's how I, I started. But you know that at that time, it was a shocking to see that huge number. Yeah. And then, you know, that you feel yourself, you do nothing. And that you are doing nothing. And, Ronin, yeah. may I quickly interrupt just to say, to ask you, so where did you, when did you start hearing about ISIS? When, you know, when mm. you were in Erbil, when you and your family and how was it on the radio, the TV because we like to know that we remember uh, the Christians in Karakosh telling us that they they heard about ISIS arriving and they were able to flee. So when did you hear about it and what was your impression of that, of mm-hmm. ISIS coming to that area? You know, uh, like um, the problem that the ISIS were the group who were carried extremist thought. Mm-hmm. So before ISIS, there was a lot of a group who were carrying same thought and same ideology, and especially in Mosul. So those people, like for example Al Qaeda and then the other mm-hmm. the extremist terrorist groups, who were like um, ca- carried same ideology of ISIS. Mm-hmm. So we never expected like one day that one come that someone he came and then. Uh, uh, expel us from uh, our villages. Hmm. That at the beginning we 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 have been heard about ISIS and then they make a terrorist act in Mosul and then in Umbar and then in other areas in Iraq. But it was like others like we thought it's our other like other terrorist group mm-hmm. like it's not mm-hmm. a serious yes. group who are you know a well organized and who come and and they came with a long term plan to. Yeah. Uh, to commit the crimes against the minorities. Um, so that ISIS, they came, as I told you at the beginning, they invaded Mosul. Uh, so when they invaded Mosul, that we said, we said, okay, that because they are already like a mostly concentrated on Mosul, mm-hmm. so maybe they are not looking to come to our villages. And we are all villages, it's, we are well protected, and then there is army in the villages, and then... So there was no way that ISIS can come uh, through our villages. 
And then, you know, that suddenly, like, we saw that the ISIS entered the villages. And then, and especially when they enter Sinjar and then mm-hmm. they yes. uh, drop the people on the Sinjar mountain. Mm-hmm. So at that time, the Christian that, that began to, to scare and then have a, f- a panic and fear about what happened to Sinjar. Mm-hmm. So that's why this what happened to Sinjar is give them, you know, that. Uh, that to take that a point to take a decision to yes. leave their villages before the Daesh came and then uh, uh, take uh, like um, you know take them or do something like do what uh, like what they did on Yazidi. Yeah, so that, yeah, that's why many of the Christian family left before that ISIS already reached, uh, reaching them. Yeah, that is so important. It actually takes us to our next question, which I'm going to ask, and then we can continue, you know, yes. this discussion. But, so um, you know, th- this timing issue, I think, is very important. So many Christians were able to flee because they saw, like you're saying, Ranin, they saw what happened to the Yazidis, and they didn't want the same thing to happen to them. And so that when ISIS reached these towns on the Nineveh plain, there weren't as many Christians there. And so ISIS didn't even have the opportunity to commit the same kind of mass murder, for example, that ISIS committed against the Yazidi. There just were not the people there to do that. Although, we'll talk about this, I'm sure, um, people suffered, the ones who were left suffered terribly, and ISIS had ways of really torturing people who were already in safety, and I'd, I'd like us to talk a bit about that. But we've had so many discussions with you since 2016 um, already about how to define legally and also conceptually um, what ISIS did to Iraqi Christians, right? So whether it's genocide or, you know, some people use the term ethnic cleansing, which neither Irena and I like because it's not a, it's not, a, there's no law about ethnic cleansing and we see it as just a euphemism for genocide. It's a way to say genocide without using the G word, right? Um, so, but we've talked to you about what to call it. And can you tell our listeners how, ISIS attacked Christians, so the types of crimes ISIS committed against Christians, and what your views are about genocide and the Iraqi Christians, about using that term for Iraqi Christians. I think you've researched this quite a bit, and you've been involved in the Shlomo Documentation Center's work in documenting all of these atrocities. So we'd love to hear your opinion. Um, So from, like, as as I said, the genocide. So there was like um, two main elements or factors that is, uh, uh, if it is happened, it just mean that is genocide. Like mm-hmm. the first one, it is intention, intent. Mm-hmm. So the first, it is the first key element. Is def- it is it is a definition of the genocide. It is the specific intent to destroy the protected in whole the protected group in whole and in part nice so isis uh, so isis group had intended primarily and uh, forcibly to remove the christian population from their villages uh, and uh, nina plain and mosul city and then second one it is like conducted so the second element it's most uh, exists alongside with intent to destroy 
the group uh, is conducted. So let's see that here that how it was conducted mm -hmm. to uh, to commit the genocide against a Christian. What those uh, element that is uh, uh, um, show it was a real genocide. So on 17 June 2014 in Mosul, who proclaimed themselves Islamic State, give a Christian this following option, even conferred to Islam, pay a jizya or kill. After three days, ICE group issued another statement to cancel jizya. Hmm. So the Christian compelled to leave their, house, uh, their, their houses or killed in the, uh, uh, in the city. Uh, after that, the ISIS uh, write the letter known, which is mean Nasrani. So, so those uh, the, the known it's been written on the houses of the Christian. That's mean the property uh, properties of the Christian. It's been transferred directly to the Islamic State. So, Christian who forced it to to uh, to remove the uh, to remove from the area were subjected uh, to mentally and physically torture looting and uh, uh, their acid and the personal belongs. So those how the Christian Mosul subjected. Let in me jump in. Real, hold on. Hold that thought. I just want to jump in for our listeners and say the jizya was is a tax that that refers to a tax that ISIS was offering Christians to pay if they didn't want to convert to Islam in order to save their own lives. And ISIS allowed that or made a statement that they could pay the jizya instead of converting to Islam, but then uh, rescinded that, right? Yeah. And, and announced that you either converted to Islam or lost everything, including your life. And then after that, the noon that uh, Ranin was talking about is the letter N in Arabic, right? Which, um, which is the letter used to symbolize the Christian community in Iraq, and that nun was put on Christian houses to indicate that those people can be targeted. Irena, do you want to say something to that? No, I just want to say the nun comes from Nazaren, the people Nazaren. that follow the Nazaren. Yes, so that's the way to identify. We saw yeah. that. We actually had pictures of that. It's a form of stigmatization as well. So, yeah, so, yeah thank you for that clarification. Yeah, thank uh, you. Thank you, Edith, for clarification. Um, so here, that what happened in Mosul. So in Nineveh plain, so before uh, uh, before Daesh, they entered to the Nineveh plain. So the Christian in Nineveh plain, they subjected to in uh, in quite and the harsh living condition that the time of the Islamic State were controlling the Mosul city and then a project of uh, they were control on the project of the water drink uh, drink able water. So they would lack the drink able water to the Christian who they were are in the village before uh, before three months of their arrival to, uh, mm. and then their occupation. So there was a kind of a campaign of sniping and shelling on the village of Nineveh Plain uh, with the intention to, among other things, to uh, terrorize uh, civilian and population who are living there. On 6 August in 2014, ISIS group invaded uh, Nineveh plane. They forced the Christian to leave. Uh, uh, the hundreds of Christians from Mosul and Nineveh plane captured and become a prisoner of Daesh. ISIS transferred a children from a Christian family to their families, to, to the other family. 
during uh, their uh, their detention, uh, Christian women and men were subjected to torture, rape, and other acts of sexual violence and uh, by the member of ISIS. The victims were also shot during their escaping. Mm. So the displacement, the displaced of the people were subjected to uh, deep blur, uh, uh, to, to the worst living condition during their displacement. They take tent and structure building and then shelter, food, water, uh, food and water was were lacking and to the medical care and support. Um, the uh, the the uh, so so that you know that they were sleep on the very a poor, uh, let's say, environment that affecting them physically and then mentally. Um, the crime was resulted a serious mental, physical suffering and injuries to the victims, mm -hmm. to the Christian victim. The church cultural monument and uh, uh, and then uh, the scared site were targeted and uh, for destruction, giving. Uh, their significance to the Christian people in this location. So the detainees uh, were forced to change the religious, otherwise they've been killed. Uh, on the other case, a victim died as a result of the Serb beating by ISIS and death as a, a result of the inhuman condition mm -hmm. which they be, were exposed to. The perpetrators choose uh, their victim on the basis on their identity mm -hmm. as a Christian, and therefore these crimes were committed with discriminatory mm -hmm. intent. Uh, uh, a result was a man, culture, a social, link, economic uh, destruction afflicted on our people. Yes. Uh, so, so according to to the Shlomo organization, until this day there is still about 35 missing persons mm. who they don't know anything about them and then they were taken by Daesh. Uh, our survival until this day they did not receive any psychological uh, support or medical support like after they came back with Daesh. Uh, and then also that there is uh, another element and that factor I think it's very important. It is uh, in induction and the planning. So as this crime was not, you know, that was not a born in this, in the year of 2014, but it was a, a serious and for long term crime that committed against our community. Mm. Uh, it has been started in, uh, in, in Sumel in 1933 in Assyrian when they were killed Assyrian, uh, Assyrian massacres by the Iraqi government. And then also in the uh, in the Surya massacres in 1969. So when the Kildian village is being killed, that there was killed a number of people in this village, and then commit a genocide against them by uh, by Al Baath party was uh, that the big authority on that time. Uh, so after that, the destroy of uh, Christian villages, and then also some. Kurdish villages was called a campaign of Anfal campaign. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. after that, there was uh, after falling of Saddam regime that there was in 2003 there was a campaign that killed uh, the Christian according to their IDT card. So because they are Christian, so they've been killed. That we have about like thousand of people they killed just because they are Christian, and then they shouted on the street. Uh, 
And then after that, in 2010, there was a brutal attack on the church while mm-hmm. the believer they were they were uh, praying there. And then there was a bombing uh, on the student on the Christian student bus in Mosul. So there was a bombing attack against him. So you know that a long term, uh, a long time and a series of the crime that committed against the Christian. So this is you you know that it give you that a full image what what we are suffering for in Iraq and then how it has come to say that it's a genocide. Mm-hmm. Exactly, not from 2014, but prior to that for a very, right. very long time. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. very interesting to bring the historical perspective to that. I don't think, and we've always discussed with Elisa, genocide doesn't happen from one day to the other. The mass killing sometimes is a result and some others is not. It's not a requirement for our audience. It's not a requirement of the genocide convention is one of the requirements, but there could be other crimes committed against different groups that do not uh, implicate mass killing. Mm -hmm. Just for our audience running, could you tell us, because I know the Shlomo also made a big statement that we got it on the genocide against Christians. So can you tell our audience a little bit about the Shlomo organization? Mm -hmm. Uh, Just to contextualize so they know, as as we also were invited by the Shlomo organization and we got quite involved with, with with them. So I would like to to start to about to introduce like Shlomo because mm-hmm. I'm a part of it. I'm a, I'm a board member of it and a, a one of a co-founder because we are like a board member who are found and then the people from our community, Christian community, who found this organization to start to document the crime. So Shlomo, what's mean Shlomo? Shlomo, it's it is a Syriac word, so it just means the peace. Uh, so the, the, the piece was chosen because we believe that we are all live together in peace, uh, far, far from war and racism and the hatred. Besides, we, can, we choose the name because we have, uh, the, the lo- we, we have lost the peace uh, through a series of genocide against our people. Peace is a supreme call that we are seeking uh, for, the li- for the life. Uh, so, uh, Shlomo organization was established in 2015. I think you and Irina, you were, you were one of the people that uh, the first day we are uh, mm-hmm. establishing, you were uh, you were invited at the first day. Be- That's right, at yes, the inauguration, yes. I remember, it was exciting. We were so honored, we were so honored. honored by that. Such a wonderful moment. So, yeah. So, because our people have been subjected to many series of genocide, so uh, so so we we find it is necessary to document and what happened, especially uh, since the memory is still fresh. So the victims live uh, the victim live with us, and then their story are transmitted by mouth of the people. Uh, so 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 there was a great interest to establish. Uh, such organization to document uh, the crime that's committed uh, against our people and then to tell the other what happened to the Christian in the future. Um, so that's how, uh, that, that is, that, that's what is a shloma. And it's wonderful. We, you know, it's, I mean, it, it, we were so impressed by 
the community's ability to come together in the face of mass atrocity and create, you know, this, this documentation system. Because it was very well thought out. You had forms that people filled out with certain questions, right, so that things could be filed correctly. And, and there was so little help at that time from the international community in terms of documenting crimes. Irena, this is something you talked about all the time, right? Is where is the international community? Yes. The international community knew that ISIS was a genocidal entity. You know, it, it knew what ISIS was doing. And so we had assumed, Irena, didn't we, that, that, that there was just some huge international presence there investigating the crimes. And when we got there in 2016, I was shocked at the absence of that. And Shlomo, and then also Yazda, I think, in for, the, for the Yazidi side, right? So there were these two organizations, Shlomo and Yazda, had to do most of the work themselves. And it was just one, your archives were incredible, what, what Shlomo was able to set up. We were very impressed. But in the future, um, in the future, I think we need... We need the international community to be training people, right? So that so that it's not so difficult uh, to set up a documentation center like that. Irena, it looks like you have something to say. Uh, yes, I wanted to add that this was done completely independently, right? Totally. Uh, the organization had no support from the government whatsoever. Remember that I kept on asking if there was any formal or official. Um, recording of testimonies and of different evidence that in and especially testimonies because yeah. we we've met survivors and there were a lot of survivors in the different refugee camps so and there was nothing done by the government of course we can discuss that in another podcast i guess the role of the government in the genocide and after in the aftermath of the genocide uh, but this was done independently by the members of the community. So it's it's really admirable, but also it was very difficult because you were not only dealing with evidence, but you were dealing, as you mentioned, with all the psychological scars mm -hmm. and all of the mm -hmm. physical, of course, physical scars of, of being a victim mm -hmm. of genocide. Some of them have been recovered back then. And when we arrived in 2016, mm -hmm. it was uh, about a year and a half after, I guess, a year and a half after the arrival of ISIS to the region. So some people were direct survivors and all of the displays were, you know, were also direct victims and had uh, a need for, for everything, for healthcare, um, food, shelter, psychological support, etc. And while providing that, the members of the Christian community were also gathering information. And I also want to add something, Ranini, if you allow us, we would love to upload the document where Shlomo states that, to our website, where Shlomo states that uh, what was committed against the Christians was genocide. So if you authorize us, we would like to upload that document. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's incredibly important for the outside world to be able to read what the on-the-ground reporters, right, the human rights reporters who were, and recorders, right, were what they saw um, and why it constitutes genocide, why we're all convinced that this is a form of genocide. Um, Ranin, oh, I have so many questions. One is, what happened, can you tell our listeners what happened to your family from Bartala? 
And what's going on now uh, in terms of Bartala, your your kind of uh, your traditional home, right? Your mm-hmm. uh, of generations in your family, mm-hmm. um, but then also in the other the other Christian towns in the Nineveh Plain. What's going on with them now? Um, so so that, uh, there was a lo- number of the people after uh, after the liberation operation that started in 2014. Uh, in 2017, sorry. Um, so, uh, because of the help of the international community and then uh, international organization who are working very well in Iraq, uh, so they were able to reconstruct uh, the the Nineveh Plain area. So, the Christian that some Christian we can say some of them, not all of them, uh, like they they back to their villages and to their houses, but let's say the rest of them like um i can say I, i'm not very details about that the number of day back like maybe uh 60 of 100 a day back and then, mm-hmm. uh, then the others they left the country unfortunately mm-hmm. yes. and then one of the families like my family my big family the mother family and my father family they left the country mm. uh so because they were not able to carry that um terrible you know, that, um, that they become without home for a long time, yeah. so so they left to abroad, and then then still until now that there is a huge that that's also unfortunately sad to say that there is a huge number of a people of our Christian people who are waiting uh, for and um, waiting for asylum in the host country, like for example Turkey and then Lebanon and then Jordan. Mm. So you know that until now it is uh, seven years ago for where. Well, when Daesh uh, invaded us, and then still that there is a families who are waiting uh, to, you know, to travel abroad, and then who are seeking asylum. So those people who are like running their time and then their money, and then, you know, especially when they are in, in the host com- uh, in the host country, and then within UN system, so they are not able to find a, a job opportunity mm. and work. So that's why they are running their time, and then um, some some children, especially who they are in Turkey. So because the Turkey are you know that they are have different language, so them some children they are not able to continue uh, their oh. their study because mm. of this, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, and then and then the others they they back to the country to to their uh, to you know to the village, and then yeah. That's what a full image and what happened to Christian after Daesh, after the liberation. And the ones that are back in their villages, is it safe in Nineveh for Christians right now? How, what's the safety situation? Yeah, it is fine. We can say it is safe mm-hmm. um, for a Christian to live there. But you know that um, you never know because it's still a conflict soon or a conflict area. Or this, like it's still that Nineveh Plain is considered one of the disputed area. So that's why um, you know that as a minority group who are unprotected, a little bit we can say we need more as a Christian and a minority and and other minorities mm-hmm. like Yazidi, um, like Shabbat, um, yeah, like. Um, um, other uh, kaka'i or other who have uh, we need um, you know that a protection 
that they, we can live in this country. Sort of an autonomous zone, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, let me ask you, are there still, I remember when we visited Karakosh or Baghdad, right? Uh, there were a lot of uh, militias, Iranian, the Iranian militias. Do they, do they continue to be there? And my other question is, How many of the Christians have been able to go back to to the to their cities, their villages? Um, so the Christian already they back there is a large there is a number of the Christian who are back mm -hmm. their cities, but still because of their exist um, mm -hmm. exist of um, you know that militias on the ground and then. Uh, still un unsafe for the civilian Christian to live there, you know that because you didn't know like whenever like there is another like war to come or yes. or still like you know that still feel unsafe and unfull secure as a civilian mm -hmm. or as a Christian community. So the militias are still there because remember, Elisa, yeah, when we visited, they were the Hashashabi. Uh, Mm -hmm. was almost controlling Karakosh. I mean, mm -hmm. they were just driving around the, the city. The, Karakosh is the biggest Christian city in the Nineveh Plains. And um, I can't remember the exact population before ISIS arrived, but it was about 50,000 people, right? Approximately, running. The 50,000 people. 50, uh, Christians living in Karakosh, approximately? Or what's um, the size? Um, yeah, maybe. I'm, I'm not very right. sure about sure. the number. Yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's But it's quite like a that. large, it's the largest, yeah. right? The largest yeah, Christian the, the city. Yeah, the Karakosh is the largest mm -hmm. city uh, yeah. of a Christian city Christian. in Nineveh. Yeah. Yes, so it was empty when we visited it and we saw that the Hashtel Shabi militia was, was there. Uh, so it continues to be there for what you say and, well, others forces, I'm sure, that put the Christian community at risk, at permanent risk. And this is the same that was presented to us in the podcast with the Yazidi, remember, mm -hmm. Elisa, that mm -hmm. they need protection. And well, we've, we've heard also when we visited Iraq, the need for protection. And I think the international community also has to uh, raise that awareness that these communities, in order to survive, not only physically, but to stay in Iraq and mm -hmm. not leave Iraq, because that's part of the genocide, too, yep. is the destruction of a group is the people leaving, leaving their culture, leaving the land. These are the original inhabitants of the land. So leaving the land, leaving their culture and not being able to uh, leave the culture in the same way, because when they go to another country, they do not live in the same community. Right? They, they share it with others. So it's part of that destruction of their identity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think it's so important that we all recognize, you know, the genocide, patterns of genocide can continue even after the genocide. People say the genocide has ended because there's no longer armed conflict. But exactly. yeah, this constant out-migration of um, Christians and other minorities in Iraq is part of a genocidal strategy and could result in the complete destruction of these groups, right? The mm -hmm. extermination, that's the harsh word that, that you mm -hmm. know, comes to mind. 
of these groups, uh, because as you said, Irena, these are small groups, right? So we talk about, this would be good to talk a bit about, Ranin, we talk about Iraqi Christians, right? And there's often an assumption made, well, there's so many Christians in the world, right? How can this be a genocide? Because there's so many Christians, right? Um, you know, and number one, genocide is not determined on size, right? But number two, we're talking about very specific historical communities. So do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about who those communities are? What are the Christian communities in Iraq? Um, so from the Christian community, we are uh, called a Christian, uh, like Syriac, Assyrian, and Chaldinian. Mm -hmm. uh, like we are uh, the Christian, we prefer to say Syriac, uh, Assyrian and Chaldinian without mm -hmm. end mm -hmm. so because like we feel that we are one and mm. we are Christian and then there is an Armenian Armenian who are also escaped from the Armenian genocide and then they came to Iraq uh, um, so so those are like let's say a historical uh, community and origins people of the Iraq yeah exactly the indigenous peoples, often what we heard when we were there, right, that these are yeah. the indigenous groups in Iraq. So these are very particular historical communities who um, are considered part of world Christianity, but have very particular traditions um, that, if, if they are lost, would constitute the loss of particular civilizations. So the Chaldeans, the Assyrians, and the Syriac Christians, as well as the Armenians. Um, absolutely. And so I think that's important also for people to recognize, simply because um, Christians from Iraq can go join other Christian communities does not mean that their culture will exactly. not be lost. Exactly. I was going to add that individually, these Christians of Iraq live in the collective. Right. They're their individual existence also depends on that in, in, in a cultural term, and correct mm -hmm. me if I'm wrong, Ranin, that it, it, they develop and they leave the culture in the group, in the community, not only individually, mm -hmm. right? So being part of that is essential for the existence of a group, and it has been slowly destroyed since you mentioned for uh, through all of these historical crimes, you know, atrocities, not only ISIS, but the pri pri previous ones as well. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, and so I'm wondering, do you think that, I mean, well, Raleen, let me ask, because I'm hoping that when there are trials, so Iraq is getting set up for trials, ISIS trials, right? Um, you know, I'm hoping that all of this evidence and this this sort of um, longer term approach to genocide will be taken seriously by the courts, uh, because in the Christian case, as well as in the Yazidi case, but the, the longer term, I think, in the Christian case is really, really important that ISIS was sort of building on decades, decades of persecution of Christians. Um, do you think Shlomo's archives are going to, has anyone contacted Shlomo? Are, are those archives going to be used by the prosecutors in this, in these courts? Or do you not know yet what's happening there? Um, yeah, actually, like as a Shlomo organization, they have a very good contact with many international organizations. Um, uh, and then uh, the, the investigation team who they are mm. coming to Iraq and then 
to to investigate with the crime that commit in Iraq. So so in the slow more that they uh, they are welcoming to any uh, to any investigation uh, um, uh, to hold for our community and for our for our people, and then they are ready to collaborate with any investigation team in Iraq. I think that's fabulous. You know, so we have a case here of an organization that grew up in the wake of genocide that was in completely grassroots organized mm -hmm. that now um, is collaborating with global institutions to bring about some justice in Iraq. It's amazing. And I know when we came in 2016, everybody was hoping for trials and we felt so sad because it can take so long for those trials to happen. Um, you know, uh, we just felt so sad about that. But here we are now, and there seem to be real serious movements forward. And all of that, all of those interviews and all of that testimony that Shlomo collected, all of that work will be so important to those trials. It makes me feel good. Yes, and yeah. I hope, you know, not to be negative or anything, but I do hope, on the contrary, to be hopeful. I hope those trials are honest, legitimate, and are inclusive of all of the groups that have suffered and are the beginning of a process of, mm -hmm. you know, um, building peace in Iraq and, the, and building for the coexistence of the different communities in Iraq. Mm -hmm. So we will, we will certainly monitor the work of, of the trials uh, to see how what the outcome is and how the development it takes time unfortunately but even if it takes time even if you know despite the time if the outcome is possible and it's positive then we we will definitely give support to mm -hmm. uh, accountability for sure absolutely you know, and there's a couple more questions I have, if you don't mind, Ranin, simply about going to this question of intent. You made the excellent point that ISIS had intent um, to destroy, in whole or in part, the Christians of Iraq as such. Mm -hmm. um, and I just think there's so many ways we can show that. And you pointed out the jizya, right, and the expulsions and putting the N, um, letter N, on the homes of of Christians. These are just red flags for genocide. And anybody who studies genocide will recognize them mm -hmm. as such. You know, but there were all sorts of details that um, that when we were there interviewing people with you that struck me as so genocidal. One was, um, so I'm just going to name a few and you can add to them, right? And Irena, you too. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to give two that I remember. One was that ISIS took things when they forced the remaining populations of the Nineveh Plain Towns, Christian populations, to flee. They often took everything that those poor people would need in order to survive as they were forced to walk from the Nineveh Plain into the Kurdish regional government. So they took their shoes, for example. They took their medicine and often took their water. And so that's not directly killing people, but it is indirectly putting people into conditions that are meant to kill them, right? So I think that, that struck me. You're taking people's shoes. It's very particular. And clearly it was quite thought out. Um, and then the other is that ISIS would telephone 
family members of Christians who had been taken captive. They did this with the Yazidis too, but I don't think people understand that this also happened to so many Christians. They were getting phone calls from ISIS while they were in refugee camps, right, or IDP camps in Kurdistan. They would get phone calls from ISIS taunting them, saying, oh, you know, why don't you come back and take care of your mother? Right. I, these two things are, are, to me, suggest a frame of mind that wants to destroy a population entirely, psychologically, spiritually, communally, culturally, and physically. Let's not forget, just add quickly before you running, that they destroyed uh, tombs as well, right? Is that the word? They they vandalized mm -hmm. tombs, exactly, uh, removing the bodies of the the Christians where it was clearly because the tomb had, and we'll upload photos on our website as well, they have a cross Mm -hmm. identifying the Christian Mm -hmm. identity of of the death. So they would remove the bodies, yeah. and and we actually mm. witnessed when you your community mm. was uh, uh, cleaning up that what ISIS had done and putting back the bodies in yeah. their place. So uh, this is something also that goes, you know, to to the genocide convention is inflicting yeah. psychological harm. Yeah. It's a way of terrorizing the community, not only body harm or as we said, the, the mass killing or, or physical um, or physical violence that Ranin clearly also uh, stated, but also the psychological violence, especially to the dead as well. We know how important it is, the ritual of 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 death in in the Christian identity and almost in all religious identities. Yeah, Yeah, and in in genocide, you often see that, the killing of the past, right? So Mm -hmm. cultural destruction, you know, is about erasing the existence of a people in their entirety, even their dead, Mm -hmm. even their ancestors have to be erased, right? This is very genocidal mentality. I really hope the courts use this, you know, use this this documentation. Um, Radin, please. Yeah, um, uh, like if you remember when you've been there, mm-hmm. so um, you, I, I was like, it was very clear to see their intention to to eliminate or yes. to um, to erase the the sa- sample of the cross from the you know the church mm-hmm. walls and then everywhere they saw the cross they were. They were like intent to destroy that sample. True. And then also like before the days of uh, like that before the liberation, and then uh, the days the days before liberation, we can say what they did, what ISIS did. They burned all the houses, and then they burned the church. Yeah. So that yes. means that uh, of it was a good sign that that they were saying for us, do not come back. Right. This is not your land. Like. So there mm-hmm. was there yep. was no way they were trying to cut the, the you know the way on the Christian that they can come back here. So that was you, you know that escape to the world exactly that, put, uh, uh, that image how they they treat the Christian and then how they don't want them to to come back and then to continue their life in this country. Yeah, they I use. Mean, the- Sorry, also, I wanted to point out for the people to have an idea of the violence of ISIS. Mm -hmm. They use the yards, the internal yards of the church 
to for uh, the shooting rank. Is that the way? Shooting range, English? yeah, for oh, training, for right? Shooting, shooting range, sh yeah. training range, yeah. exactly. And um, we remember going there and seeing a carpet of bullets and the the targets of the shooting range in the church, besides the burning, right? So that's also very symbolic to to the meaning of a church, right? Or a cathedral or any uh, religious um, building. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it just shows how important that destruction was to ISIS. You know, people will talk about Nazi Germany when, um, when it was clear that Germany had lost World War II as the Nazi troops were contracting and being forced out of Eastern Europe by the Soviet army, they continued to kill Jews, you know. So they'd lost the war, but because the Third Reich was a genocidal state, it continued on its most important war, which was the war against the Jews, even when it had lost. Um, and ISIS the same. ISIS saw the end coming and it decided it's going to destroy as much of the Christian world in Iraq as it could, you know, and that just shows that shows the mentality and what the priorities were uh, when it came to Christians. I think it's just very, very difficult to argue that what happened to Christians in Iraq is anything other than genocide. And so I really hope Christians and Kakai and the Shabak Shia, because the patterns were very similar across all of these groups, are included um, in genocide trials, right? For those ISIS figures who are charged with genocide, I hope they're also charged with genocide for what they did to Christians. And I just wanted to add also that they were similar, but they use specific elements mm -hmm. to identify the group yes it wasn't right. like a general because if not people might think it was crimes against humanity when mm -hmm. civilians are attacked systematically and good it's point. not yeah, good point they they used for example the n-word the noon right the noon uh, mm -hmm. sorry the noon letter the n to to represent the christians and they would target with what was specifically for a christian identity symbol yes and same happened with the Yazidi. They were using elements that clearly understood what the Yazidis were, the belief, the culture, the identity, the way of life. So this is also very important to highlight. Okay, yeah, thank you, Ren. So I guess we're here on our last question for you. Um, which involves your other work, your more contemporary work in Iraq. Um, so you're working a lot with youth in Iraq, and I'm wondering if you could tell us what some of the main concerns are of youth in the country and tell us a bit more about the work that you're doing. Um, so you know that because we love our country, uh, that last year in 2020 there was a very nice uh, um, chance to meet an opportunity to meet with other Iraqis girls uh, we have we are from different domination and then different religious mm. but we have same thoughts and mentality and uh, same thoughts uh, and then passion to work for our country so so with this beautiful opportunity that we have been established a media platform 
So this media platform, it was like uh, used to uh, motivate and then develop the uh, capacities of the youth in our country. Um, so we are like, there is um, uh, like every one of us, he have um, his own specialist. So everyone, he was raised awareness about his own specialist. Like we have a physician with us, we have a nurse, we have a civil engineer and who have a business who, who uh, she uh, interests in economic and then business and then a smaller project and then uh, so, so for me, I'm very, I'm very uh, interested in the human rights and also with, um, you know, that uh, genocide. So, so we are trying to raise um, uh, awareness among uh, women and uh, men and the children uh, to have to have them as a safe, empowering platform. Uh, and then to be a creative and an ambition uh, ambition for youth and then and then it was like it is kind of um platform that that we trying to support their skills and then abilities and then to open a discussion with these youth so i hope that we are just we are started our our platform so i hope we can reach the most number of or the largest number of the youth and then um, uh, and then raise awareness as much as we can and then as much as like we feel the responsibility to do this. Oh, I think that's so exciting. And you do things like you have a you have your own sort of like Facebook videos, right? Or podcasts or how are you? What is your platform? Like what are all the different things you're doing? Yeah, so sometimes we are hosting a live uh, sessions mm -hmm. and then sometimes like we are um, um, designing uh, 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 like let's say a post uh, it is like specialist for our page and then uh, sometimes we have a small videos like it is like used to educate or to raise awareness um, so yeah and then and sometimes we are using uh, education material to you know to just to raise awareness um, through sh social media uh, about you know that about politics about human rights about you know that in different life aspects it's so wonderful people always say iraq is so sectarian but the future of iraq is not sectarian the future of iraq is united that's definitely the feeling i got when i was there is that young people in iraq have so much in common and to see that you are organizing across all of these different identities is so exciting, Ranin. It's so hopeful for the future. Yeah, and, and I'll be, I would like to happy to mention my friends, Lavin, yes. Bahar, and, and Diana, that we are working with each other in this group. And then we hope and then that we have a good future and then to reach the large numbers of the youth and then to find their needs or to help them that, that as much as we can. That is so great. So we will put, for our listeners, we will put links um, to Ranin's organization um, on our podcast. It is in, it's in Arabic. Is that right? You guys use Arabic for? Oh, and for uh, leadership recipe, we yeah. are do, do in both, both language. Because oh. we are we are doing in English and Arabic as well, oh, so fabulous. we have a translation in all material that we are 
identify this. So people all over the world can see what you're doing. Oh, that is That's so wonderful. great. So listeners, you guys can go yeah. and see what's see what even if you don't speak Arabic, you can go and see um, what what the youth in Iraq are doing. That's so exciting. Well, Ranin. I can't thank you enough for this wonderful interview. This was a great podcast. I learned so much from you as always. It's such a pleasure to work with you. We miss you and your family so much. And Irene and I are looking so forward to seeing you in the future. But we will certainly have you back on this podcast before we can get to Iraq uh, for an update on what's going on with, with, with Christians in the country, with youth in the country, and with human rights in Iraq. Yes. And hopefully we can have your friends mm -hmm. and the colleagues are part of your group. We can have them in the podcast one day and discuss a bit more of the different aspects. What I find interesting about your work is that you are, you know, involving with politics, economics, yeah. all of this, the environment, human rights, etc., beyond uh, the genocide, etc., but in so many aspects of the everyday life. So oh, I yeah, hope we great. can have you all in the podcast one day and have a chat and oh, that's a great sure. idea so that i think was will be more enjoyable uh podcast session <laughs> sure. it sounds great thank, yeah i'd like to thank you also ranini it's wonderful to have you in the podcast and uh please convey our greetings to your wonderful family that has done so much for the christian community in iraq yeah, and hopefully we'll we'll have a live podcast from Iraq soon. Yes. Inshallah. Yeah. <laughs> Inshallah. <laughs> Thank also, you. My prayer, my prayer for that. So I'll pray, yeah, I'll pray for that. Oh, so, wonderful. Yeah. Thank you, Thank Rani. You. Thank you so much. And thank you to all our thank listeners you. for joining us. We will see you all soon. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.